This episode is brought to you by Knowing Hospitality, a full-service hotel management company that has developed a simple and straightforward management fee based on profit, not revenue. If you're a hotel owner that believes in a new way of doing business and want to learn more about the benefits of a profit-based management agreement, visit knowinghospitality.com. Now let's get to the podcast. The solution is not always the opposite of the problem because the guest is sharing their experience from their perspective and you are reacting to it from the standpoint of the business and from the operating model and the guest experience. And sometimes those don't necessarily, those aren't necessarily mirror images of each other. Welcome to the Proven Principles Podcast, the show that deconstructs the inner workings of the hospitality industry, breaking down the tools, tips, and tricks that the world's best run hotels use every day. Here's your host, Adam Knight. My guest today is Josh Liebman. He's the guest experience evangelist at Roller Software and brings more than 16 years of experience working for some of the top tourist destinations in the world, including Walt Disney World and Universal Orlando. He's also consulted for organizations such as Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, Waldorf Astoria, Mandarin Oriental, Peninsula, Montage, and Rosewood. Discussions about customer service have always interested me, not so much because of the practical application of removing friction points in the operation, but because of turning theory into practice. It's one thing to say we need to improve service. It's a whole other thing to recognize the soft skills at play at many levels within the organization that will either help or hurt your efforts. And that's what this episode tries to uncover. How do you improve customer service with an eye on empowerment, training, and meaningful data collection? Josh brings a tremendous amount of insight and knowledge to this episode that will certainly light a path in your own efforts. So let's get to it. This is episode 75 of the Proven Principles podcast, Josh Lieben on customer service evangelism. Enjoy. Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to have you. Adam, I'm really excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? How did you get to be the guest experience evangelist at Roller Software? The word evangelist is uh, definitely the most uh, unique job title I've ever had in terms of uh, guest experience. It's, um, it's, I love, love the role. It definitely encapsulates everything that I'm very passionate about. And to give a little background uh, that leads into that, I've been in the hospitality, tourism, travel, and primarily attraction space for a little over 16 years. So my professional background includes working for Disney, working for Universal, for some of the top uh, theme park operators in in the world, really. Um, Took on a consulting role after finishing up school, got uh, my my bachelor's, my master's in hospitality and tourism, and uh, started working with luxury hotels and resorts. So Ritz-Carlton, Four Seasons, Waldorf Astoria, the list goes on, but it's just some of the some of the top brands from a quality assurance standpoint, and then started doing a lot more work in the attraction space of uh, working with uh, not just theme park, but uh, but also cultural attractions like zoos, museums, aquariums, uh, in terms of enhancing their guest experience and really looking at guest experience as one of the top priorities for success. So did a lot of uh, training, oversaw mystery shop programs and quality assurance back over on the attraction side. And then uh, recently in early 2021, uh, came on board with Roller Software as the guest 
experience evangelist. So Roller is a, a software platform working with leisure and attraction venues from a point of sale and ticketing standpoint. And really, uh, we are positioning ourselves as the guest experience platform. So everything that the software and the technology does uh, is intended to remove friction very much on the end of the guest from who, when they're planning their visit up through the arrival process, from what can we do to eliminate some of those headaches and question marks along the way so that they have a smooth experience, which as the operator is doing what they do best, which is providing those phenomenal memories and those phenomenal experiences to their guests, that we can say, what can we do to get some of those, those friction points out of the way so that there, there is a, a better path to wow and loyalty. So that's, uh, that's that in a nutshell. Is it a standalone software package or do you go in and, and audit the existing uh, guest journey through, you know, the, whatever the booking process is for whichever brand you're working with and try to remove friction through their, their own ecosystem? Sure. So it's it's a standalone. So they would use us for ticketing, for point of sale, for any advanced reservations and booking and, and things like that. And it's, you know, we want to tie it in specifically with their guest journey. So making sure, for instance, uh, you know, trampoline parks is a big, uh, a big area of business for us, which has a little bit of a different business model than say an amusement park, where for the most part, you're buying a ticket and you're going that day. Many of them now require you to select a day that, that you visit. Traditionally, historically, I would say pre-COVID, it was pretty normal that you could just buy a ticket and then show up any day, any time that you'd like versus the trampoline park space, which for many years, you have to select your day, select your time. So we want to make sure it aligns specifically with the guest experience that they are providing in their operating model. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we're able to, to look at it from all components of their guest journey. I think that's interesting. The piece uh, in your background about working with Disney, I mean, well-known organization for training, standardization. Um, anybody who's worked in hospitality that's that's ever hired anybody from Disney uh, kind of knows that you know there's a there's a method to operating that they bring with them that is that I think is incredibly valuable. Um, and and so you know having you on the show today, it, this isn't so much a discussion about theme parks more as it is about like how do we dissect the current state of of guest experience? And bringing some of your background with Disney and Universal and working with some of the luxury hotels, I think you can provide some interesting insight on where we're at uh, with with hospitality businesses coming back to to life, you know, and at varying degrees of life, depending on where you are in the country. Yeah. Um, but the landscape is very different today. There's not as many team members around to deliver on what some brand and service promises may have been pre-pandemic. Customer expectations anecdotally are are different and potentially more difficult to deliver on today for a, a various numbers of reasons. Um, and so with that lens that we're looking at this, I, I'd like to get your perspective on kind of the state of the of the union, as it were, uh, in customer service. And then maybe we can kind of dive into, you know, how hotels uh, and 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 people in customer service facing positions, both delivering them, but also managing people that deliver them uh, should be looking at things today. So I know that's a mouthful. But <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with the first one. What's the state of play right now? Sure. I, I feel that guest experience uh, is more important than it ever has been, especially now that 
we're able to really have this juxtaposition that we did not have two years ago of pre-pandemic and then during or whatever whatever state of the pandemic you want to consider this now. I, I definitely won't say post uh, by any means, at least at the time of this recording, hopefully uh, in the not too distant future. But being able to look at saying, well, what were we doing before the pandemic that we were prioritizing guest experience or customer service in? And how has that really changed? And what are the differences in expectations that our guests have? What's the difference in the guest demographic that we're now serving that uh, was not necessarily relevant at any time in the past? And then really recognizing that not every guest is the same and not every guest has the same concerns. Some people are ultra cautious, they're ultra careful, and they're skeptical about whether it's visiting a theme park or staying in a hotel of looking at that identically of saying, well, this is a place that we were kind of told is unsafe and unclean mm -hmm. and unsanitary. And you could, you could get sick by going to a venue or a location like this. Mm -hmm. And then you have those on the polar opposite of saying, I just want to live my life. I, I, I'm not concerned. I'm not worried. And while that the latter sounds good for business, it also brings a, a whole new onset of issues and troubles with that too, if they're not complying with new procedures and policies that are in place. And now it causes friction between guests that you know has nothing to do with how the mm -hmm. hotel or how the venue is operating, but specifically how guests are interacting with each other. So I would say from a starting point, you know, that's something that we really need to be mindful of, of saying we, we want to serve our guests and we want to deliver phenomenal experiences to every single person who has an intention to visit us, mm -hmm. regardless of where they fall on that uh, cautious spectrum in terms of how they are perceiving and interacting with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I think, and that's that's not really any different though than it was before the pandemic. Uh, we one of the things that we used to train a lot, and this is this is actually why I think this this subject is superficially seems very simple, but when you really get into the weeds and when you have to train people on how to do this, uh, it gets it gets hard because you're balancing company standards. Uh, and especially those in the hotel world are all too familiar with the Richies, the LQAs, you know, Forbes, AAA. I mean, they all bring their own version of what, what the right sequence of services, the right interaction with, with guests. Um, and some of those are prescribed by the brand, but some of those are prescribed by them. Uh, and that's why you pay for their service because they, you know, anyway, that's a whole other show. Uh, <laughs> but my point is, is that you're balancing uh, company standards. In a lot of cases, you're balancing these these audit company standards, and then you throw in the mix serving people at the place where they want to be served, meeting guests where they want to be met. Some people want the very long, drawn out experience, and some just want their keys and get me to the room. And so, how do you? The challenge has always been how do you marry those two. Uh, and it seems to me that over the last probably five years, we've been going more in the direction of do people feel well served rather than how many seconds somebody's waiting in line before they get acknowledged. Is that is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you're saying of meeting company standards and serving guests where they want to be served in whatever 
capacity that, you know, that happens to be. I was talking to someone uh, several years ago who said that they went to a, a conference at Disney. It was at a Disney property. And at one point he turned to someone else in the conference and said, if one more person tells me to have a magical day, I'm just absolutely going to lose it. <laughs> so bringing kind of Disney into that, into the hospitality a, a conversation of saying, this is what they've always kind of preached and said, and we need to, to treat our guests specifically with this. Uh, whereas some are saying, no, I actually just want I just want it to work. I just want everything to be completely functional. So I think mm -hmm. that that really gets down to training and from the staff standpoint of saying, well, you need to read the room and you need to look at the individual guest and being able to anticipate what it is that they are looking for from you and be ready to adjust within the interaction. Uh, there are so many cookie cutter standards of saying we want to do this for this for the uh, the element of consistency in service delivery. But part of that consistency is consistently providing an experience that the individual unique guest wants in their way, which yeah. means it's not always going to be perfect. But as close as you're able to do that is you're able to to get closer and closer to that and be able to react in the way that the guest is responding to it. You know, that's a great point. And I, I think that the lens has always been focused on, um, on, on consistency, which is important, but it's consistency at the surface level. If everything that you're doing is just making uh, a, a bad process easier to implement, <laughs> a, ba a bad operational practices easier to deliver to people, then if that's your goal, then then sure, maybe in the past you were doing a good job, but if you, you got to take a, a step, a, a several steps deeper, because if your internal processes, the things that guests don't necessarily see, but they get the result of, that's, it seems to me that that's where a lot of the, the focus that used to be on making sure people uh, you know, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, you know, very formal, all that stuff, but less on, are your rooms ready on time and are they clean? And are you, are you learning about your guests and leaving, you know, great amenities in the room or, you know, you could, there's a million, yeah. op, uh, uh, examples. Um, that's really where, where efforts should be focusing a little bit more on. Yeah. And I think actually Ritz Carlton is a perfect example of that from many years ago, uh, they were very consistent in this in the standpoint that their staff was scripted in terms of how to greet a guest from the check-in process to every single component of saying, this is the luxury standard, this is the pinnacle of the experience, but it was exactly the same every single time. And as a result, the favorability of the service actually declined, which then resulted in Ritz-Carlton responding and, and really pivoting to say, here's the standard, here's the overarching goal of what we're looking to achieve. Now you need to infuse your own element and your personality into that. So mm -hmm. you're meeting the standard, but it does not need to be the same set of words every single time. Otherwise, that's, that's where employees get replaced. That's where the kiosk is a better experience than the staff because you know you can count on the consistency of a kiosk or something automated versus having the personal interaction with the human being who's able to anticipate your needs and make recommendations and help you in a better way. Yeah, it's so true. Um, I mean, in, inevitably, there's going to be a time when you need to go from trying to deliver that great anticipatory service for people. And we could dive into a little bit about how, how, actually, let's do that first. When you go in and you, and you're talking with somebody or maybe, you know, in your role with, with roller, how do you impart that 
on an organization? How do you say, because it's great to talk up here. And we're all very good about talking up here about it, but unless you've had to implement it and, and get people to do that part, do the inconsistent part consistently, uh, it's it, it's very difficult. So when you're peeling back the onion of this, how do you get this message out there and get staff to take uh, action on it? Sure. Uh, I love what you just said of consistently delivering inconsistency or, or something like that right there. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that I love talking about when you're looking at specific ways to go and above and beyond guests' expectations. Every single one of those involves breaking from your routine or at least doing something in addition to your routine. So if you think of checking in a guest at the front desk, there is, you can break that down in a very methodical checklist of saying all of these points need to be met in order for the bare minimum of the service and the efficiency and the operation to be considered successful for that individual guest at that time. Once all of those are completed, that's where I like to say, all right, now what more is there that creates a little bit more of a personal interaction? It makes the guest feel like they are the only one that matters in that moment. Even if it's just for a few seconds, one minute, it does not need to be long drawn out, especially if there's a, a line of guests behind them and it would compromise the efficiency of the operation. But what can you do to make them feel like they're the only ones that matter in that moment? How are you showing your enthusiasm and being more enthusiastic than your guests, which then spills over and enhances their experience. And then when we talk about anticipating guests' needs, I like to say you should answer questions that they don't know that they had. So guests don't know what they don't know. Now, maybe they've stayed at your property, they've visited you many times, and you know they know the layout front and back, or they're a first-time visitor. If they're that first-time visitor or someone who's maybe only been a couple of times, they don't know where the elevators are. They don't know where the restrooms are. They don't know if room service is operating right now or not. And they might not necessarily think to answer those questions, nor should we expect them to have the capacity to do that. So recognizing that the staff is the proficient one, they're the experts in the operation and everything that your guests need to know allows you to extend beyond the routine Use that proficiency with the awareness of the guests that you have in front of you to say, you know what, they're not asking a question that I probably would be if I was on the other side of the desk right now. So let me probe a little bit further and let's, uh, let's try to make sure that this guest is able to have the best experience that they can because it'll exceed their expectation if you do it and it's likely to fall below the expectation. The guests might actually have an unfavorable perception of their visit if you don't anticipate their needs in that type of way. It's about, yeah, I like that. It's it's about volunteering information, whether they know the information or not. Um, in, in getting out in front of something that could be a friction point or a potential problem. You know, if the, if the restaurant's closed or the pool's closed, or there's, you know, there's a big wedding going on at your property that night. And so, you know, maybe it'll be noisy until a certain time. Don't, don't shy away from sharing that information, let them know so that they don't, they don't go into whatever the next phase of their stay is with a set expectation. And then that's not met. If you allow them an opportunity to adjust before they get there, before that expectation is set, that oftentimes uh, accomplishes a lot of what we're talking about right now. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I, you know, I mean, there's you know a number of examples that I can think of from the amount of times that I've seen guests carrying a stroller or wheelchair up a flight of stairs occupied 
when there was a ramp or the elevator was right around the corner. Yeah. If, if it was you, you probably would have asked that, but that guest might not have thought. So you can intervene and something that small uh, can really go a long way and exceed the expectation. Another time, uh, this is back in the theme park world when I was working in guest communications at Universal Orlando, a guest called and asked about a height requirement for a particular ride. I knew the answer right away, but I also knew that the ride was actually closed for seasonal maintenance. So that if they were on their way to the park at that time, the question that they asked doesn't actually matter because the answer that I would give them wouldn't ultimately lead them to satisfaction. It would actually lead them to be very frustrated with me for not giving the information that they hadn't asked for. So. Yeah, that's a great example. So, you know, on that note, there will be, uh, unfortunately, probably many times in your career where you're going to have to deal with, uh, resolving problems and, and it's arguably how, what the complaint resolution process and outcome is like in some ways will, is a stronger indication of, uh, or in a stronger way to create raving fans of your, your property. You know, it's all well and good to to have something go like to have a, a good experience go good, uh, but it's unmemorable. But if there was an issue that gets resolved in a way that really is a, is an anchor set point for somebody during their experience, uh, they will tell everybody about the problem they had and how it was resolved. Whereas yeah. they probably won't tell everybody about, you know, a good experience that they had that is unremarkable. Um, so there's very much a right way and a wrong way to approach this. Um, what are some of the, the ways that you train people, uh, on how to approach difficult situations, get them resolved? Sure. Well, first I'll just point out that there is a ton of data and research that supports what you just said, uh, something called the recovery paradox. A lot of this research was done in the late nineties, early two thousands. And I think much of it was specifically in the hospitality and hotel industries that suggested that if somebody has a poor experience and they speak up, they complain about it and it is successfully resolved that their level of satisfaction oftentimes, more often than not, is higher than guests who came and stayed and had a satisfactory experience. So there is a disclaimer that I always give with that, that you should not intentionally trip your guests so you can <laughs> swoop in and catch them as they fall. Don't, the there's hero. no system to game here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. But it is that when something does go wrong, and it will, because you are dealing with human beings in a complex operation, hopefully the amount of times that things go wrong is few and far between, and the magnitude hopefully is, is lower more often than not. But in those types of instances, not only is it not the end of the world, but it's really an opportunity to create a phenomenal experience that they will remember and that they will take with them. If you have a review on TripAdvisor that said, you know what, we came and we stayed and we had a bit of an issue, but I talked to Adam and he knocked it out of the park and I am so thankful that I spoke up and I'm thankful that I stayed here and I can't wait to come back again. That's a positive review, even though they're initially referring to a negative experience. Mm -hmm. So when talking about how to get staff members kind of in the, in the right mindset and the best ways to train on this. The first is just by letting them know, this is not if things go wrong. This is about when things go wrong. So any part of your standard operating procedure, yeah, you want to include all those functional mechanics of their job, all the ways that they're able to exceed guests' expectation, and just as importantly, how do we need to be resolving service failures when they come up? Because the faster and more effectively they're resolved by the staff member who hears it, especially if it's 
the, the front desk or the housekeeper or the servant or the uh, server in the restaurant, whoever it is, if they're able to take that on without saying, let me contact the front desk manager, let me call the manager on duty and now sit here and please wait however long till the manager comes up and they're the only ones who can fix the problem. Mm-hmm. When you put that in the in the hands of the front of the frontline staff, then the staff is happier because they're able to resolve that issue. And the guest is happier. They're waiting less time and they're just having it resolved right away. I, so as far as process and, and procedure, I, I get very granular with it. I love the LAST model, which is an acronym that stands for listen, apologize, solve, and thank. And this is something that is really a, a full accordion process that can be used to resolve the smallest, slightest instances of guest dissatisfaction all the way up to things of, I've used it for people threatening lawsuits and threatening national media coverage. And over the mm-hmm. course of maybe 15 minutes on that phone call, they're saying, you know what? Okay, now I'm now I'm back over on the other side and I'm a, I'm a little bit calmer, a little bit more level-headed now that we've had this conversation. So it's yeah. listen, apologize, solve, and thank. Well, you bring up two really interesting points. Uh, and something that I I have obsessed over for a long time is the idea of empowerment. Um, and and, and in, in what you were just saying, where if you're, if you're tasking your frontline people with solving problems, but they can't make a decision or, or talk with a, a guest about a difficult situation without a manager being involved, there are, there are very serious fundamental issues going on in your service culture. Uh, but also, if, if you're tipping your hat to empowerment, but every time a staff member makes a decision to resolve a problem, uh, and, and then they get hauled into an office to be told about all the ways that they just did it wrong or the ways that they should have handled it. Now, granted, sometimes they are training opportunities. If somebody, um, you know, if, uh, if somebody, I don't know, they, they had a hard time getting a reservation for dinner and you comp their stay <laughs> that maybe that's, you know, that, that maybe you could have handled it a little bit differently, but that's an extreme example. There are, there's a lot of examples that where, where people are just beaten down to the point where they don't want to make a decision about something because they're, they fear the consequences on the back end. Uh, y- y- you're probably never going to get to the place that, that y- you always talk about, but you can't get out of your own way to get there. Um, so the empowerment piece uh, is, is probably one of the most critical elements here. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, you can look at it from from a couple of different ways, uh, really, and say the first is about the training. And so if you're looking at the last model in the S, the solve step, part of that is saying how to actually then put in the here's here is the recovery, here's the compensation and the recovery should fit the failure. It should be a win win for the guest and to the business. So looking at it up front and then in those instances where the staff does do something that maybe does not align with uh, what you would have done in terms of recover from that guest situation, looking at it as a coaching opportunity rather than discipline is going to help the staff now move forward from this rather than feel very bad because they did something wrong. So when you think about those meetings that you have with the staff, what's the desired outcome from that? Some of the best leaders that I've had who've coached me on that. And maybe there even was a, you know, an, a, an official documentation on that. I remember early on in my career, 
those who are truly invested in the team's success and my success of being able to being able to resolve these types of failures, I would walk out of those meetings so grateful and so thankful that they actually took the time. And then I remember thinking about that and saying, why am I feeling so thankful for just being written up right now or just like being told I did this wrong? And it all had to do with the way that that conversation was of reviewing here's the instance and here's what you did. Here's the company standards. And let's talk about how maybe this could have been done differently and maybe what we can do in the future and keeping those conversations upbeat and not, it's not about, you know, a slap on the wrist or you're Mm -hmm. reprimanding, but it is doing this because we want to consistently improve the way we are doing this process and continually enhancing the guest experience. And it's never done. It can always get better. It can always be cleaner and more tightened up. So when you're having those meetings regularly, the staff is less intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. Now they're more excited to say, well, I'm going to go learn something from my leader, my supervisor, my manager, based on their experience and the way that they're communicating these processes to me, then I'm going to walk out of that meeting feeling smarter and feeling better at my job than I did walking into it. Yeah. And I imagine that this is a big retention strategy in this world of, of where everybody, I mean, and to be fair, this staffing issue is not a, a pandemic created. Sure. The pandemic may have exacerbated already fundamental issues with staffing and hospitality, but you know, we, we had a heck of a time trying to find people to fill jobs. Like the jobs would stay open for months in a lot of cases pre-pandemic, like a couple of years before the pandemic. Uh-huh. But that said, the the best recruiting strategy is a retention strategy. And I imagine that empowerment and training and um, and this uh, new way, air quote around new, because it is kind of new, uh, way of looking at customer service and imparting your personality into it, not just following a set of standards on an Excel sheet, is a very strong way to let people know that, you know, you you want them there because of this, the things that they bring to the table, not just because there's tasks that need to be performed and you'll trade time for money for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, an old meme that I saw many years ago that it's the, you know, the CFO asks the CEO, well, what if we invest in developing our employees and they leave? And the CEO responds to saying, well, what if we don't and they stay? <laughs> yeah. So when you look at saying, well, what are, what are we doing to spend money on keeping our employees here? It is that they continue to add value. It is the human capital to the organization. And at the end of the day, we're in the people business. Hospitality is about people serving people. It is about uh, providing those pers- personally facilitated experiences to individuals who are coming into what we are treating as our home in a way that they walk away with an intangible feeling of what it is that they just experienced. Whether it's a hotel or a theme park or a trampoline park, all of that is consistent throughout that in terms of why we're doing this and why the human component of it is so critical. And it's worth putting a lot of ownership into the hands of the staff of saying, I am I am the owner of my specific area right here that I can make or break the experience for the guest and then giving them the tools and the ability to do their job. Now, that doesn't mean that there's no documentation, there's no you know consequences for negative actions, but it's all part of the process and it's all part of the operating model that you put in place. 
Yeah. The the second point that you brought up that I think is so relevant, uh, I, I, I've definitely experienced this, I'm, I'm sure you have too, where the threat of a bad review is dangled uh, as, as, uh, sometimes as a, as a warranted resolution to a problem, but sometimes a, a made up problem or like a non-problem, like, you know, you're going to write a bad review because you don't like the paint color in the room and you want us to comp your stay. Like, okay. <laughs> but this is a very real thing that frontline workers are faced with on a day-to-day basis. That happens. Um, is, are there any, any tricks to to change the conversation away from that adversarial way of of resolving an issue when a guest brings that as their starting point that you talk about? Yeah, I mean, if the guest is bringing it up as their leverage piece of you better you know give me a great experience or else, then you know there's definitely a, a way to approach that to say, look, I do want to help you, whether you're going to write a review or not. You know, I'm here because I've got the ability and I've got the desire to ensure that you're going to have a positive experience. And then I think reframing it of not necessarily looking at it as a threat of a bad review, but as an opportunity for a positive review. If we've already determined, okay, this person's really active on TripAdvisor and Google reviews, whatever it is, then now we can have this conversation that hopefully turns into something that is that is a, a compliment on social media or on online review platforms that I, you know it's it's not necessarily that it's a personal attack on the employee if it's a bad review if it is poor service and poor experience then yeah of course the the staff needs to know that guests have this outlet that they like to use on occasion i think that if you looked at your overall occupancy and your visitation compared to your overall number of reviews, probably relatively low. And mm-hmm. most people who might threaten that aren't necessarily actually going to follow through with it. Mm-hmm. But it comes down to helping the guest for the sake of ensuring that they have a positive experience and a positive perception uh, versus just trying to avoid a negative review. Now, when it comes to online reviews, whether the guest is bringing it up or not, the review that you see online is purely a perception of that guest's experience. And it might be right, and it might be wrong, and it doesn't actually matter whether the guest is right or wrong or not, because they are influencing others either to book a stay and stay at your hotel or to go stay at your competitors and to not stay at your hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a stat that I saw, maybe this was about a, a year or so ago, so I can imagine it's still somewhat relevant, if not even even bigger at this point, that one negative review can turn away 30 prospective visitors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that if that's, you know, if, if you're only doing business travel or, or say that maybe that is a, uh, just 30 individuals, but what about families? What about large groups? What about events, weddings, conventions? Multiply that times 30. Now we're talking serious dollars from the impact of a negative review. So when you look at reviews as a, as a tool to damage your reputation, you also want to make sure that you're looking at it as a way to enhance your reputation and influencing others uh, of the positive experience that the guest did have at your property that hopefully is going to result in more bookings and positive word of mouth. Yeah. And you know, the, the next piece of this discussion, I think has to encompass online reviews, but you know, anybody who's been in the industry any length of time has dealt with, with all the different survey platforms that are out there too. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, for a long time, JD Power was something that we used in, in, in 
uh, a company I used to work for. I don't know if they still do, but you know, we've sort of vacillated between very long satisfaction surveys with with you know dozens or you know a hundred in some cases questions about every different facet of your stay. Uh, and in some cases, distilled it completely down to NPS, which is, would you, would you recommend us to your friends and family? So you go from a hundred questions <laughs> to polar opposite to one question. Yeah. And, and now, you know, we've obviously, I mean, online reviews have been around for, for a while, but it's an interesting thought experiment to say, well, what is, what's the area that is going to give you the most beneficial information that you can action? Is it a long survey with with a bunch of questions, where your response rate is is certainly in the single digits? Um, is it a, a one question a one question survey, or do you just put all your eggs in the online review basket? I guess the point is, from your perspective, where are you getting the most valuable information that you can then turn around and make the experience better? Sure. So you're definitely not getting the most valuable information from online reviews. I'll, I'll start with that. Now to say, yes, that is a great source of guest feedback. Uh, but the problem with that is everything out there, it's airing your dirty laundry. If it's a negative review, it's, you know, it's people uh, gearing their comments towards a different audience for those who are uh, potentially considering staying with you or booking with you versus to you directly. So I think internal feedback is definitely where you want to channel the majority of your efforts, especially if there's a lot of constructive feedback out there that your guests can be giving. Uh, every organization has flaws and you're better off learning about your flaws from your guests directly versus social media or from the internet. Because I, I heard a, a quote a few years ago from a social media expert who said, complaining online is now a spectator sport. So people are are looking to see what are people saying really negatively because those are those are the more exciting reviews to read. Think about yourself too. If you go on Amazon and you're saying, "All right, this mop has thousands of reviews and the majority of them are five stars." Let me look at the bad ones. Click on one star. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe like, right. and, and then that might influence your decision despite literally the the thousands others that should be drowning it out. Mm-hmm. So channeling through internal channels is definitely the best way to get not only the best, but also generally a higher response to. More people want to talk to the organization directly than they do posting online, even if it might seem like it's the other way around. Now, in terms of how to structure that survey, you're right. If it's dozens or even over 100 questions, then yeah, your response rate is going to be so minimal and it is just the most committed guests you have and the most the ones with the most time on their hands to be able mm-hmm. to completely give you every single granular piece of information that you need. Uh, but then if it's just NPS, well, if you say, all right, you know, my NPS score is 35, well, that's pretty good, but why? And where are we actually missing? So you want to really balance the quantitative and the qualitative. Uh, oftentimes, sometimes it's it's just about asking what did you enjoy about your experience and what could we have done better? And maybe give them a few different options if you want to keep it in the house of quantitative feedback, um, but also allowing them to provide narratives too. So you're able to say, all right, if they scored cleanliness four out of five, well, what was that one gap? And they said, well, the you know, toilet paper in the restroom in the lobby was out. Okay, well, that's that's something that now is quantifiable because they gave it a metric score and we can do something about it because they literally told us what it is that could have been better. So you don't want to overwhelm them with the amount of questions that you're giving them, but you also don't want to make it too simple that 
you're not going to actually have the intelligence that you need from it. Yeah. What do you do with that information when you get it? And you talked about, you know, the, the toilet paper in the bathroom piece, but you know, if it, and I, I, I don't want to harp on the the Disney model, but I do like from a personal perspective, it's very interesting to me. Um, What, what would you have done in that organization if negative feedback came in on surveys or in some of the other high-end companies that you've worked for over the years, what are some of the best practices there uh, to distill that down into like, into what is meaningful feedback and how do we take this and actually make things better? Yeah. Uh, So I like to break it down into three main components. First is collect, which is basically really what we've been talking about is the way that you are gathering that feedback and really tightening that up. So you're able to optimize the response rate with the quality of the responses that you're giving of making sure it's automated, making sure that every single guest has the opportunity to share their feedback, that it's done in a timely manner after their visit or at any component in the guest journey and their experience, and that their ability to deliver feedback, it's easy for them to be able to share the feedback. So that's the collect component. Uh, The second is respond, which a lot of that has to do with service recovery, especially if there is constructive feedback or if not everything went great, or if everything did go great of reaching out to to really thank them and be able to invite them back in the future and Mm -hmm. let them know about your rewards program or whatever it is that you can start to now plant the seeds for that loyal guest who had a phenomenal experience. So that's responding to it. The other piece is react. And this is about these long-term uh, ways of looking at guest feedback. So you're able to continually make improvements to it. So in responding, you're talking to the guests directly, and maybe you're talking to the staff members who are involved from a coaching standpoint or from a recognition standpoint. When you react, now you're taking the volumes of feedback that you're getting, and you're looking at it from the high level and saying, what are the trends that uh, you know that we're really looking at? So the toilet paper is out in the restroom in the lobby on 3 p.m. on Saturday, you know, you're probably not going to not going to take much disciplinary action against the employee who is responsible to that. It's a one-off right. instance. Let's have maybe a quick conversation and say, hey, this feedback came in. Let's make sure we're on top of it, structure that conversation in you know, the best way that works for that instance. But maybe now that's the fifth time in a month or in a couple of weeks or so that we're seeing that to say, all right, now there's something operationally disconnected from what we want to ensure is a consistent experience that there's always enough paper products in the restroom, toilet paper, paper towel, uh, soap. I mean, like all of that right there. And now we're getting feedback that's saying, you know what, maybe our staffing is not as optimized as it should be. Well, that's, you know, a, a big time where guests are arriving and checking in and Maybe that's near the restaurant and, you know, lunch is getting out, you know, towards that time. So there's a a higher volume of foot traffic there and saying, well, you know, maybe we actually are justified to, uh, you know, bring in another staff member and, you know, schedule another uh, custodial staff member during that time. Maybe that's what the solution is. And, you know, of course, we're just using that as an example. Mm -hmm. Part of the issue, too is when looking at these high volumes of guest feedback and being able to extract, you know, this is our top priority, the solution is not always the opposite of the problem. Because the guest is sharing their experience from their perspective, and you are reacting to it from the standpoint of the business and from the operating model and the guest experience. And sometimes 
those don't necessarily, those aren't necessarily mirror images of each other. So for, for instance, uh, your rates are too high. It's too expensive. That's probably something that I'm guessing every single listener, <laughs> regardless, if you're in a hotel, regardless what industry you're in, someone is complaining about your prices somewhere. Okay, well, high prices, the opposite of that is lower your prices. So if the solution were the opposite of the problem, then if guests complain that your prices are too high and you lower them, well, that fixes it. I think we all know that that's not the case too. That's going to devalue the experience. And you know what? People are still going to complain that it's too expensive. Mm -hmm. it, that's just the way that people perceive that. So being able to say and pull back and say, all right, why are high volumes of guests saying that we are too expensive? Let's look at the value that we are giving to them. Let's actually look at the peripheral of the comments that we're giving and let's make sure that we can charge the prices that we you know, are, are entitled to charge, that you know, we deserve to charge, but make sure guests are walking out. And they might say, it was expensive, but it was worth it. I think that's the most optimal comment your guests can say because that mm -hmm. means you're, you're mas maximizing your rev bar out of it and at the same time, providing the experience that the guest is expecting. So that's just one of many examples of when looking at uh, of, of just aggregated feedback and saying, we want to solve this issue, but we want to solve it from the guest's perspective of the issue, not just the verbatim of what the comment might be. You know, a lot of the time, well, all the time in these feedback, these feedback circles that we're talking about, whether it's a post-day review or a post-day survey, um, Every single time, if the guest doesn't tell you in the moment, that's a lag indicator. Oh. So you don't necessarily have an opportunity to fix it where you can't in the moment because that moment's passed. Is there value in uh, in goodwill adjustments slash resolutions after the fact if somebody brings up a, a problem to you that they experienced while they were there, but you can no longer fix that thing because they're gone? 100% because everything in terms of reacting and even responding to guest uh, to guest feedback is about making the experience better for the next guest. You can't go back and undo the service failure that the guest had, but they are speaking up on behalf of many other guests who had a same similar issue and didn't speak up on it. Another stat I saw not too long ago is that one out of 26 complaints go reported and the mm -hmm. rest are just dissatisfied guests who might not come back. Mm -hmm. So that's a, a huge indicator, even just this, just to show appreciation for that guest for bringing up the feedback because, you know, 25 other people, 95, 96% of people had a similar issue and just didn't say anything about it. I would say that in and of itself from a hospitality standpoint is, is worth resolving that for the guest, but also so that you can continually enhance the experience for the next wave of guests that you are seeing so that you don't have, uh, you don't have a, a repeated service failure that is a problem you're just not fixing by just saying, well, you know, what's said and done, the damage is already done. And then moving on to the next of saying, all right, this is a recurring issue that we now need to look at resolving from more of a long-term strategy rather than maybe just making that phone call in the moment or dispatching that person to clean the restroom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there anything uh, that, y are there any topics around this discussion about customer service or, or practices or, or philosophies uh, that over the course of the last couple of years with the pandemic, uh, 
we should be looking at differently or any, any way to approach this? Or is there anything that has been um, maybe cemented for you or, uh, or something that, you know, maybe you believed ahead of before the pandemic and you're like, yes, that's absolutely true. Keep doing more of that. I think the biggest thing is the way you align the experience with guests' expectations. And my biggest takeaway from the pandemic as it relates to guest experience is that all the expectations that you make to your guests or that your guests have, these are promises that you've made to them. So they expect it because you've promised. If they expect that they're going to be asked to wear a mask indoors, that's because you provided them with that policy and you promise that you're going to enforce that. So looking at guests' expectations, not just, hey, here's what people are thinking about before they visit, but here's what we're telling them that experience is going to be. And we're not just trying to meet expectations or go above and beyond. We want to make sure we give them what we promised them. We promise that we've implemented these new cleaning procedures into our guest rooms. And we now not only have to keep up with that, but we need to show them how we're keeping these promises. So one thing that I've seen in, in many hotels that I love is just this extra additional card and it might be signed by the housekeeper and they're just saying, this is what we did. I, it's not a change in procedure to anything that was done before, but it is just that a little bit of touch of letting the guest know that they can feel comfortable because this is the environment that they're walking into. Uh, that I would say is the biggest change in guest experience and guests' expectations that uh, that I've noticed. Yeah, amazing, Josh. I uh, I really appreciate you coming on and giving us uh, a bit of a look behind the curtain here on on how to craft better experiences because it is a different world uh, today. But you know, like I, I keep saying, fundamentally, it's still the same. It's just how you action it. Uh, on the ground. Yeah. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about you, learn more about Roller Software, what's a good place for them to go? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so you can visit roller.software uh, to go to the website. If you want to reach out to me, uh, josh at rollerdigital.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm in. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Joshua underscore Liebman. Uh, please reach out, please connect. Uh, I love, love chatting about all things guest experience and hospitality. I appreciate you being on the show, Josh. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. Thanks, Adam. This was my episode with Josh Liebman. You can learn more about him on LinkedIn and Roller Software at roller.software. To hear past episodes or check out our other content, go to theprovenprinciplespodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and a review. I'm Adam Knight, and you've been listening to the Proven Principles Podcast. Until next time.